is there a screen? Hello. Hi, guys. I actually normally write my notes out because I really don't trust technology, but I'm trying something new here today, so I really need to stand. Thanks. Jen, my friend for 20 years. It's so exciting to welcome her. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for incredible testimony in her life. Mm. And um, we just pray now you speak through her. Mm. Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful essence she is. And we're so excited to hear your voice through her. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. It's so nice to be here. Well done for making it. I feel like a real preacher because every time I've preached before, I've kind of prayed a secret prayer, like, please don't let anyone come, please don't let anyone come. And this morning I was like, oh no, like, I hope people, uh, please Lord, let the people come, let them make a way. And I just was like, wow, we are all growing. I am actually genuinely happy you made it <laughs> and that you're in the room here with me. Um, who of you were here last week when Taryn started us on our series? Great. So some of you have been given the most beautiful introduction into the, the story of Abraham, which is where we're going to be um, spending some time the next few months. And I get to do the second installment here today on the life of Abraham. And there's so much to be learned from his life. And it's just been such a privilege to do some reading and some research into the Old Testament and um, for those of you that weren't here, and for those of you that don't know much about Abraham's life, that's totally fine. You're in the right place, the right time. Um, I was having a laugh with my sister because she volunteers at another church, and she had to teach on Abraham and Isaac um, to the toddlers <laughs> last week. And for those of you that don't know, this, this Abraham, he's, he's asked by God to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar, and then he doesn't. God, you know that story for another day, but um, he, she just couldn't follow through. She says, and then Abraham took his boy, I mean, his toy, Isaac, and was going to sacrifice it, and um, we had such a laugh just in how maybe more relevant that story was for a group of five-year-olds about sharing, sharing toys and not necessarily sacrificing your children. So out of context, um, some of these Old Testament stories are really not for the faint-hearted, but I hope to make sense of of my portion of it today. I've got a beautiful slide behind me made by Robin, who's not here, but um, she had a very short lead time to put our slides together, and she asked for some help from a fellow parishioner. Tell me something about Abraham's life, like what can I go with? And this person had lots of helpful things, but the one thing she said was, oh, Abraham, lots of living in tents and stuff. And um, my scripture today is, is about the, the living in tents and stuff. So um, I hope to, to give you a little bit more than that. But we're going to be sitting in Genesis 12, verse 6 to 20 today. Maybe before I go there, I just feel a prompting to just say um, that I'm Jen. For those who don't know me in the room, I know that our church has been growing rapidly. And so I have been here when there were six members and six leaders and I, um, we clearly needed a lot of discipling in those, in those days. But um, it's been such a joy to watch this church grow and stretch. And um, the first time I met Jesus and started following him, I was 12. 
and I was on a camp, and we had to write a letter to someone about our meeting with Jesus, and I wrote a letter to my parents. I was so compelled to tell my story. This person has come into my life, and I'm never going to be the same. And the next time I shared my testimony, I was 16, and it was in front of a thousand children at my school, and um, I remember telling them that my life made sense because I was part of a bigger story, and um, my story was now, you know, encapsulated in God's story. And today, I just felt like this is the beautiful thing about sitting a little bit in the Old Testament. Uh, it's a part of a much bigger story. And so for, the, for those of you who may be really new to the story, and, and I'm sure most of you know this, but just very briefly, the story is God's redemption of all humankind. You know, we start off in Genesis 1 in the Garden of Eden, and there is proximity and relationship to God. And then the unraveling happens, and we lose that, and there's chaos and a lack of order and then this is a hinge moment where Abraham comes into the story and he is chosen by grace and God says, I'm going to make promises to you and I'm going to fulfill them and your life is going to extend to all the nations and everyone is going to be blessed through your lineage. And, um, and we know that's fulfilled in the promise of Jesus and his death and resurrection and, and how the story ends is that we don't just land up on a cloud playing a harp but God comes down and he makes all things new and there's no more grief and loss. There's no more death. And we are restored, fully restored, creative order restored. And um, that is the story that you and me find ourselves in. So, Genesis 12, verse 6 to 20. I'm going to read it for you, but it should be on the, on the screen as well. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. 
This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Two very different segments of, of scripture right after each other. I'm just going to move this because I feel like I'm not speaking to you on this side. So I'm going to be speaking about these scriptures in two parts because I feel like they represent many different moments, two different moments um, in the scripture, in this passage. There's this high mountaintop moment and there's something very much like a low valley. The first part is beautiful for anybody who loves to imagine the outdoors and nature and trees and the promised land. This picture isn't just a space filler. This is a very important, very prophetic image that's given to us as believers. The first appearance of a tree on the high place in Abraham's story is right when he enters the promised land. And as a recap through Genesis 1 to 11, the tree is the most sacred of sacred places in the Garden of Eden. It's where man is connected to God's life. It's where Adam and Eve walk in the cool of the day with the Lord. And so Abraham meeting God at this tree and God becoming um, seeable to him is a beautiful promise moment. He's promising the nations to Abraham. Um, the tree of Moreh, which means teaching, um, and, he's, and yeah, Yahweh, he doesn't become seen to everyone. I mean, it's, common in the, it's not uncommon in the scripture, but it's not um, something to be taken for granted. So this beautiful moment of Abraham receiving promise, um, Abraham, who becomes Abraham, by the way, um, it's a really beautiful moment for us as, as believers to know that God becomes known and know that he is seeable. So trees, tents, mountains, worship, God becomes visible. It's a little bit like camp next weekend for those of you who haven't signed up yet. That's what you have to look forward to. So what does Abraham do in response to meeting God, to seeing him? He builds an altar to the Lord and he pitches a tent. So the altar to the Lord is not something we do these days. We're not building altars in our home, but it's a place of meeting with God. It's a response to God. An altar is a place of worship or sacrifice. It's an invitation for us when God becomes near to press in. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice so that we are no longer separated from God, but there is still a daily cost. There is still something asked of us. We are still an offering before him. And so maybe you have a place that is specifically meaningful for you where you meet God. Um, I believe running on the mountain is quite a nice place to meet the Lord. I'm not one of those, but uh, maybe a, a tree in a forest. Or For me, it's funnily enough, on the N2, there's a specific space. And I don't know if it's because I'm really alone in my car, and so it's a very beautiful moment for me. <laughs> or if it's that my coffee's just kicked in like a round trip after doing the school, school run, or it's all my defenses are down. I don't know what it is, but I have almost started expecting to hear something from God as I round that hospital bend. And he gives me a bit of a download, what's on his heart, who's on his mind, um, what does he want out of the day. And it's a beautiful gift. He's coming close to me, and my only expectation from that moment is to worship him, to build my altar, to press in, to offer myself up to this um, download that he's giving to me. Does that make sense? So that's the altar, a place of worship. The other thing Abraham does is he pitches a tent. 
I love that here at Signal we have some of our own songs we've written over the years, and there's one song called The Land of Hope. It says, we have pitched our tents in the land of hope, chosen the best spot with all the views, firmly established in the Father's love. Such a beautiful picture of Abraham, isn't it? I have a contrasting camping story because everyone has a great camping story. Ray and Leanne have the worst camping story, but that's not my story to tell, so you can find them afterwards. <laughs> but um, it came to mind when I was preparing for this preach, so just stay with me. I'm sure it will link back somehow. But we were camping in Sweden a couple of years ago with a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and we were trying to escape the hideous summer weather that Sweden sometimes, unfortunately, happens to experience during summertime. But they have these cool apps in Sweden where um, they, they actually check where the most sunshine is shining. And so you can see, oh, this coastline had like three minutes and 13 days, or this place has actually 54 significant sunny days the whole year. And so we found the coastline that has the most option for sunny weather, and we packed our cars <laughs> with our friends, and we drove like 12 hours to the sunniest coast of Sweden, and we arrived to this rain cloud overhead, and it didn't go according to plan, but the campsite was full because everyone had been checking the app, <laughs> and so there was no space anywhere, and we rounded this corner, and there was the most beautiful site. felt like the land of hope. It was like just next to the beach and the forest, and the toilets weren't far away, and conditions were perfect. And we pitched our tent, and after five minutes of being there, we all of a sudden realized we hadn't noticed the sound, and there was this like clanging, clashing sound. And we'd pitched right opposite the recycling depot. And Swedes are amazing at recycling, God bless them. But they, when they throw their rubbish away, they literally like throw it in like seven different bins, and they each had this metal lid, and it was just like bam, bam, bam. And um, I just felt like the Lord had said to me when I was preparing, sometimes you camp and you pitch in the land of hope, and sometimes you've pitched Jen in front of the clanging bins. You know, that's life. That's how this works. And the, the message about the tent is not so much about camping, although I'm going to try and bring that around before morning so that you come next weekend. But it's actually um, about the pilgrimage the pilgrimage that it requires from us as believers of God. Abraham's not building houses. He never builds a house. Spoiler alert, his entire life is pitching tents in the land of hope. He is on the move. He is constantly on a journey and an adventure with God. And so are we. Psalm um, 84 verse 5 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in God, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. The life of journey is not the same as drift. Terence said that. It's so good. The life of journey is not the same as drift. This speaks to the intention of being on a journey with a big, big yes to God. There is a willingness to give up control, not to dictate how he should come or what it should look like. Human wisdom, wisdom and scaffolding is not useful. As we think on this wonderful invitation of pitching a tent, not building a house, do we want to main, maintain control? Do we want to understand all the parameters? It's okay if you say yes. <laughs> 
Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. The reason being is our own understanding can only take us so far. We have to let go of the right to figure him out. Sometimes we have to choose trust or to understand. Some of us, we just want to do both. This is an invitation to enter again into a journey with him that we need to go on to believe and trust that he is faithful, that he is safe. And I just felt like it will often not look like you're going in the right direction because the kingdom is often at odds with the world. It doesn't make sense. But there is hope. I had the permission in the prayer this morning, Mandy's prayer was, Jen, I feel like the Lord is saying you're allowed to linger longer, so I'm just going to take that, and um, I feel like the Lord is on this, this, this feeling of wanting to understand and control, and sometimes we need to get out of the way, sometimes we need to get out of the way. Okay, so after meeting with God, after seeing him, after blessing to the nations, um, what could go wrong, right? Well, you've read that with me. Literally everything, everything goes wrong. The next story is about Abraham at the first sight that this plan is not working out. There's a famine or a drought or a plague or something. He is just instinctually like, oh, get me out of here. Get me and my people out of here. And actually, Sarah, you're really beautiful. So let's just pretend you don't belong to me. And I'm going to give you to Pharaoh. And um, I'm going to be given the cats on the sheep and the camels and um, make a life for myself here. And I've, I've never liked the scripture, to be very honest. <laughs> been pretty judgmental about it. But once the Lord started talking to me about this, it's like, wow, how often do we do that? We receive this promise, we receive this high mountain moment from the Lord, and at the first sight that it's not working out, we abandon ship. We're just like, actually, I'm out of here. And this is not just going to affect me, this is going to affect the people with whom I live, the people with whom I'm entrusted, my mission to bring God and kingdom into this world. This is not condemnation. This is just the cost. This is the cost of giving up the plan and the promise of your life at the first sight that it's not going to work out. I like to call this part of the story, or I like to call this part of my preach, and this is actually the last part, um, what to do when you are in the middle of your story. We're finishing the story here today in chapter 20, but as you know, this is not the end of Abraham's story. But sometimes when you know the end of Abraham's story, you stop to, and you forget to think about, well, what does it look like at this moment? What does it look like at your moment? Even if you've been given the entire trajectory, if we don't stop and think about the moments that actually were push-through moments, we're faith step moments. We miss the, the good part. We miss the part that God cares about. We miss the process. And if you've been a Christian for longer than a few days, you will know that God is interested in your process. So what happens when you're in the middle of your story? When you have heard his promises, you've seen his faithfulness, but you are failing to trust. 
This is God's faithfulness amidst Abraham's failures. And his failure here is his failure to trust the Lord. This whole text is about God making a promise of saying, I'm reliable. And Abraham says, I think I'm actually going to be self-reliant. <laughs> Here is the good news. God is not surprised by Abraham. He knows Abraham. He is a choice of grace, just as I am standing in front of you today. He knows Abraham's weaknesses. He, he longs for us to make good choices. He longs, sometimes I wonder, how did he give us free will? Have you seen the mess we can make? <laughs> but he does. And he knew and he knows. He is neither shocked nor disillusioned by our failures. He had no illusions about us in the first place. The even better news than this is that God's presence actually rests on our brokenness. It rests on, it says here in Psalm 51 verse 17, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. I've been so impacted by reading and listening to the Asbury Revival stories. So for the last month or month ago, for those who don't know, this revival broke out at a college campus in the States. And it's been hundreds and thousands of people that have been passing through there and experiencing God's presence, even as they stand on the grass outside the chapel. And... Um, I think what moved me is that it was not a celebrity worship leader or some amazing preacher coming to town. It was their very, and not my words, but someone said it, mediocre <laughs> sermon <laughs> um, that actually just asked for humble and contrite hearts out of the 30 students that were gathered. And they, they met in this room and they prayed and they worshiped and then they repented and they repented and they confessed their sins and they waited on the Lord. And that's how revival broke out. The broken and contrite heart, the spaces in our lives that are actually a little bit um, messy. I feel like that's what the Lord is interested in. And that's something he wants to remind you of today, that those bro broken spaces, um, that there's a beautiful lyric, I'm sure you've heard Leonard Cohen um, there's a crack in everything, that's where the light gets in. I think about that often when I'm feeling a little bit uh, messy. And then there's that also that beautiful Japanese art of putting broken pottery pieces together with gold. I think it's called kintsugi. It's built on the idea that embracing flaws and imperfections, you can create an even stronger, more beautiful piece of art. This is what Jesus is saying to us. We don't have time to go into it all scripturally, but as I was preparing for today, I felt to also mention that not all the trials you are facing are necessarily ones that you have chosen. Abraham made a distinct choice here not to trust God. But what if you were Sarah? Hmm. 
There is just genuine opposition on your life. There is just genuine resistance to the goodness of God flowing through you to the rest of this world. And sometimes it is not your fault. And I feel like as a culture and as a society, we don't speak about this. As, a, as Christians, we don't speak about being in the middle of our stories enough. I feel like some of you in the room have got so much wisdom. You've been in the middle of your story multiple times, either through age or journeying with Jesus. And I just, I honor you. I honor you because being in the middle of the story is not easy. <laughs> There's a um, parenting course I did once, and one of the suggestions was to model failure in front of your kids. I'm like, it's a little bit weird, but okay. And um, it occurred to me that we are offering our children all these opportunities to be brave and to try hard and to take courage, and yet we are never showing them that that's something that we have to show up to on the daily. And so that's something Luke and I started doing, having these very, not rehearsed conversations, but, <laughs> hey, I really failed today doing this, um, but I'm going to try again tomorrow. And they weren't made-up stories. They were legitimate stories. But it's not a natural thing to, to maybe speak about. And I think we miss out on something when we don't speak about being in the middle of our stories. There are going to be moments of resistance. I have been fasting all week for breakthrough, and I have not seen it. As I stand here, I have not seen it. There is going to be opposition. I'm a little grumpy today because I'm hungry. <laughs> but I'm also experiencing the Father's heart. There's a cost. But there is no reason to live in guilt or shame from either making the wrong choices like Abraham did or having wrong choices made against you. from my last two points. <laughs> I think the invitation here this morning for us is to look at Abraham's life and look at the specific section and think, when God is close, what do I do? And when I'm battling to trust, what do I do? And it kind of looks the same. Our offering, our invitation is to build an altar, is to offer ourselves, is to worship, is to worship in the spaces that are good and the spaces that are bad. It's to build a tent, not build, pitch, <laughs> pitch a tent. It's to decide I'm going to go on this journey, I'm going to be on this trajectory with the Lord. I don't know where I'm going. Abraham had no idea where he was going, but he knew that he was invited on a journey. And he was not alone. And I think the other thing that we invited into this morning is to repent from distrust, to repent not in form of like feeling condemned about it, but in, form, in the form of that there's always an opportunity and invitation to trust God again. 
And some of us can find it very easy to trust God in certain spaces in our lives, and other places it is very difficult. Or you find it super easy to trust on behalf of that person. I can see exactly how God's going to bring breakthrough to you. I can sense that it's around the corner. And yet for our own lives, we find it really hard to build an altar and an offering and a place of worship in that space, be it mentally, physically, practically, spiritually. This is the beautiful thing about being church for each other too, isn't it? We get to actually be um, prayer warriors for each other in the middle of our stories. I feel there are some here today that um, your lack of trust has had dire consequences. And to you, I want to say and remind you that this is not the end of Abraham's story. The message today is not necessarily a victory message because they're still in the famine, in the drought, in the desert, figuring things out. But God's story and Jesus' victory, it is a victory message. It is. Sometimes we just have to stand, and sometimes we need to move. God is faithful. He is who he says he is. I really wanted to leave time this morning to, um, to offer ourselves to trust God in these spaces in our lives. And I feel that those of us who have walked with Jesus a very long time, um, there's something new for us. I mean, I was 12 only the other day, but, you know, it's been a while. And I feel like every time I read the scripture and every time I, I, I hear from the Lord on something, I see a different angle. I see a different um, part of his love for me and his love for others. And I feel like the opportunity this morning is to really soak in that, you know? Like, what is he saying fresh to me? What are the places in my life that I have not seen breakthrough or victory yet? And how do I enter back into trust with him? Yeah. I think I want to end there, actually. There's a few more things, but I feel like that's what the Lord wants to say. Um, guys, do you want to come up? I'm on time. <laughs> Maybe we can stand together. Steph, would you mind coming up? And Vim. Pete Hughes, a pastor from the UK, says, the story you live in is the story you live out. And it's so beautiful to see yourself in the story of God, not as an outsider, not as a foreigner, but you are in the story. You are either right here in this particular story of Abraham's, or you find yourself in the beautiful created order story. But picture yourself in the story this morning.